This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claygood and Cooper Linton, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with the wonderful cast and crew of Aging Matters. We've got Cooper Linton. Cooper, how are you, sir? Awesome, actually. Doing great. You really had to give that one to I had to pause and think think about it, and I just decided I was awesome. Awesome. That's a big word. I could mentally see you going through the thesaurus in your head, and (laughs) you landed on awesome. I I did. You know, there were like six or eight options, but awesome probably was the better one. And that other voice you heard is Nicole Cleggett with Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you? I could not be... Better. Better. You're right. Wow. You had to pause, too. We're turning into audio Mad Libs at this point, and I'm, I'm dropping my pen. So it's we're off to a wonderful start this evening, but uh, it's going to get better because we're going to focus on something that uh, everyone needs to pay attention to, and that is public policy. I think we have a little bit of a bipolar relationship with public policy. Either people fall asleep because they think it's not relevant to them, it's boring, that's meaningless, that's something for the folks down on Jones Street or they become very animated and we have folks protesting on Jones Street and we have strikes and people walking out the doors and you know that's those are kind of the two extremes most of the time there is just the simple business of public policy that goes on and we sometimes ignore it maybe we shouldn't maybe we should talk about public policy so we try and cover these issues at least once or twice a year It took me a little while when I first moved to North Carolina to realize we have a long session and a short session. It's because we have a really a two-year legislative cycle, uh, as opposed to some states that just have, they do it once per year. They have a regular legislative cycle every year. We're special. We are special, but it does create a little different flavor for legislative affairs, for the way public policy is handled, for budgeting and appropriations, setting up the Medicaid budget. All that's a little different in North Carolina than it may be in some other states. And for folks that have moved here from other places, they can be a little baffled by it. Uh, The good news is we have a couple people coming on uh, later in the show who can help us navigate that a bit. But we continue to hear issues around Medicaid expansion Mm -hmm. uh, because North Carolina was one of roughly half the states in the United States that chose not to uh, expand Medicaid uh, in line with the Affordable Care Act, more commonly known as uh, Obamacare. So the Medicaid program in North Carolina did not expand uh, to include more of North Carolina residents. Mm-hmm. And we know that that comes up as an issue every year, in, both in public policy and in the budgeting process. So uh, we're really... Uh, always wanting to explore that because it keeps options open for residents here. Uh, And we'll also uh, end up talking a little bit about certificate of need. That issue pops up almost every year, though it appears that this year was pretty quiet with respect to certificate of need legislation. So every year we've had somebody beating the drum that maybe we should eliminate that. And for those listeners that aren't uh, familiar with it, certificate of need is a set of North Carolina statutes that require that there's a particular public need for certain types of services before the state grants 
uh, companies the ability to try and uh, vie to meet that need. Maybe that's building a hospital or a nursing home. Uh, it could be certain types of technology, home health agency, hospices, those sorts of things. Sometimes I think groups are a little bit short-sighted when they really push for certain pieces of legislation that happen and don't really realize what the true repercussions are going to be. They think people are screaming and yelling about what they might be, but maybe just faking it because they want their way. One such thing I think we're kind of really feeling is in the private duty home care world when they made the overtime exemption Mm -hmm. uh, go away and now they have to pay all these private duty home care providers um, overtime okay, but now we don't have a pool of private duty home care providers to provide care because people don't want to get into that business. Well, and that's a great example of it. And while that um, did not happen at the state legislature, Mm -hmm. that was a a federal uh, regulatory change. It absolutely impacted the Mm -hmm. state and it impacted businesses in the state. And it really gets to that age old law of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm where we start changing one thing and we think it's the perfect solution until we realized... For the greater good, perhaps. Oh, it's usually well intended. But then, wow. (laughs) But 14 other things were impacted by that one change and now we're scrambling a little bit, not realizing, to your point, Mm -hmm. this one well-intended change ended up making it really difficult for private individuals to be able to um, hire caregivers in an affordable way and it's actually made it harder on some caregivers who now are having to work for multiple employers Mm -hmm. because the employers are trying to avoid paying overtime. So these short sessions versus long sessions, that actually may not be the worst thing in the world if if I'm understanding this correctly. Perhaps when there's sort of a bit of a break, you can hit the pause button and maybe reflect and go back to your towns and communities and find out even more what people think about a particular topic and come back to the table again? Well, I think you're absolutely right. And when we talk about legislation, we often use the word advocacy. We want to do legislative advocacy. I think legislative advocacy happens after we've done some, actually, education. Mm -hmm. We need to understand what is going on in our communities, how people, families, businesses are being impacted by these decisions, how Mm -hmm. the government budget is being impacted by these decisions, And we ask an incredible amount of our legislators. Mm -hmm. We ask them to be experts in an incredible number of topics. It's almost impossible. Uh, And frankly, most of these folks are doing it because they're they're very motivated to try and do something in their community. You may agree or disagree with their positions, but most of them are motivated by something other than money. They're not being paid very well as Mm -hmm. legislators. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think of it almost as, and, and follow me here on this little journey I'm going to take, is an episode of The Bachelor. So you have, Okay. Yes. I'm following. I'm following. You got, you got to follow with me here now. Jason, do you have a rose? Yeah. <laughs> I'm drawing a diagram here. I'm ready. <laughs> you may need to draw a diagram on this, but you have a whole bunch of people that are kind of in a, in a little captured area for a period of weeks at an end, and all kinds of people are coming into them and telling them why their deal is more attractive than the next person's deal. Then the, the episode ends and, and the series ends and people have to go back into the real world and then they realize, oh, this is not exactly what I thought. So I think sometimes, you know, in, in doing things in the way maybe North Carolina does, that it gives people a chance to, before they marry the deal, to think about it a little bit more. I suddenly want to make a joke about government affairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying to make it more colorful. I want the listeners not to fall asleep. <laughs> well, but I, th- I think your point's well taken, and we have to get out of the bubble 
of Raleigh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. or specifically Jones Street. And I think the legislators really try to do that. Mm-hmm. They try to go out and they work in their communities. And we actually get more face time when we go out into civic events, community events, and we see those legislators, because many of them are local business people, mm-hmm. uh, and they are like the rest of us. They're a member of a faith community. They're, they have friends they're running in different social circles, and they're trying to get information and take that information back mm-hmm. to Raleigh and try and do the right thing. And we need to try and help them do that. Well, and yeah, and that's where all of you listening come in because you know what? You're going to get what you're going to get if you don't actually speak your mind and, your, and give your voice out there as to what you want. We only get one vote, but you get to use your voice many times. Mm-hmm. And we encourage you to inform that mind so that you can use that voice. Well, we're going to bring in a couple of public policy experts to talk about why this is important to caregivers and your health. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton. And Cooper, we, uh, we're We've dived in so far, and we're talking about public policy, and I think it's time that we bring in the experts here, and we, we grill them a little bit about why this is so important. Well, we uh, kind of depend on these experts, actually, to help advance the issues uh, around healthcare in North Carolina, so we're very pleased to have two folks on this evening. One is Tracy Culvert, and he is the Vice President of Government Affairs for the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. We also have Julia adams Shurick. And she is a contract lobbyist with Oak City Government Relations and actually also works with the Association for Home Care, or Home and Hospice Care in North Carolina. I like to refer to her as the uh, contract hired gun for good. Uh, She's out there really uh, advancing issues, particularly around Medicaid. But in general, both of you guys work in a lot of home and community-based care. Is that right? That's right. That is exactly what we do. Um, so as the hired gun for good, and I like that. Yeah, if you want, we can on, get you new business cards. That, that would be perfect. I think that should be my new tagline for the company. Um, we basically go into the General Assembly every day that they are in session. We're talking about public policy and, and what is a session. And while we are down there, we represent the Association for Home and Hospice Care. So we do the home care side of it. And we talk to key members of appropriation committees. I see a question coming. Oh, I do. I, I'm under, I, I got confused when I read the paper the other day. It talked about we had a very short, short session. You did. You had a very short, short session. What, what does that mean? Because does that mean there's still time to meet with these appropriations people you just mentioned? There is, uh, but right now they are about to wrap up all of their work for the legislative year. And matter of fact, right now we are monitoring a few last-minute Uh, constitutional amendments that are going to be put forward to the voters and then we will basically have what we call signy die which is when they drop a gavel and say we are done with our two years of legislative work and everybody goes home and takes a big deep breath and gets to know their families again now you talked about i thought all this stuff got voted on jones street you said something was going to get voted on by the general public that's absolutely correct that's crazy talk it can be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us more about that? 
Sure. So there are a couple of ways that policy moves through North Carolina. The first part um, around policy moving through North Carolina is kind of what you always saw if you were doing Schoolhouse Rock, you know, how a bill becomes a law. Oh, yeah. Do you, right. do you want me to sing or we... We could sing that song. Let's, let's I not. think we we'd still, have to pay some money have a few for the royalties. Left. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but um, you know, Schoolhouse Rock basically presented the simple form, which was a senator or a representative, mm. so House or Senate, has an idea um, either to fund a new project or continue funding something that's going on in the state currently, and they write a bill, and that bill gets a fund number. And then they debated in committees. And if we're all lucky, it goes out of one chamber, like the House, to the Senate. It leaves the Senate, and it heads over to the governor. Um, the budget, which we always talk about, that big appropriations thing, the budget, that is a bill in and of itself. It has to go normally through a couple of chambers, uh, a lot of debate, and then goes over to the governor's office. This year we did a little differently. Um now, that's a kind of an expensive bill, isn't it? It is. You know, I mean, as bills go, that one's kind of on the pricey side. That is. That's like $23.9, almost $24 billion in North Carolina. What's a point nine of a billion dollars uh, among friends, really? You know, really, it, it's like a rounding error is what we think. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but normally, that's how a bill becomes a law. Um, but sometimes, uh, we do these things called constitutional amendments, and... That's to change something in the Constitution. And the legislature can't do that by themselves. The state constitution. The state constitution. Um, The legislature can't do that by themselves. They put it out to the public. And one of the ones that we've been working on has been around uh, capping your personal income tax rate. Um, So, you know, right now I think we're operating at around around a little bit under 5.5%. And they had wanted to cap it at 5.5%. We had some concerns about that. Um, representing home care in North Carolina, that that could cause a problem for us in the future. So there's a concern that if we cap that rate, that while we want to grow the economy, we may be actually leaving, underrepresenting the, the need for tax revenue and therefore not able to cover some of the public services that we feel our constituency requires. That is exactly correct. And so we were able to work with a bunch of other groups down at the General Assembly and get that raised to 7%. So on That's ballot, a big difference. When you start talking about an economy the size of North Carolina, a couple percentage points actually is a ton of money. Exactly. So at 7%, uh, when you go to vote in November, you will see that on your ballot uh, to vote for or against it. So. And this is where the actual general public does get to be involved in shaping things and exactly. probably should be informed. Exactly. Maybe they should all tune in. They should. (laughs) What else is going on with respect to home health? Uh, Tracy, anything that's floating out there? Any things we feel good about, things we're a little scared about? Home health hospice? Yeah, I mean, we were working through the budget process that Julia just mentioned. We were very pleased overall, and a couple of things happened in our favor. We work with a program called Community Alternatives Program for Disabled Adults, or CAPDA for short, and that's our home care program that serves folks that are institutional level of care. And it's a very important program to us, but basically we were able to get the General Assembly to agree, and they've studied it for a long time to increase the rates. And that's the rates to what are paid to the providers who actually do the service. What's good about that is 
that money will trickle down to our caregivers who are extremely important to the industry, who are basically the backbone of, of what we do. You know, it's like an inverted uh, pyramid, and they are certainly critical. So we're very thrilled to get that money uh, to expand that program, especially as we head into Medicaid reform later on. And we also got word there's a, an additional $1 million to the block grant program, which is, you know, a bigger fish out there. But we definitely needed that money, which, which serves our elderly adults in the home and is, is a very vital, vital program to keep them there. So when we talk about these aids, um, sometimes called NA1s, sometimes called CNAs, sometimes called home health aids or HHAs, I've heard we ought to pay them a, a livable wage, which I think resonates with most of us. We want people who are working hard, working full-time to be able to make a livable wage. What does that reimbursement model look like for them? I mean, they're, we, we talk about $15 an hour. We've used that as this kind of thumbnail of what a livable wage is. Um, how close do our home health aides, hospice aides, um, CAP DA folks, how, how, does, how close are they getting to that? Yeah, it's one of those deals that you hear a lot of debate on it. And it's funny because we'll be in front of groups. Do you guys support the minimum wage being raised to $15 an hour for your home care companies? And our answer is no. And before everybody goes crazy, the reason is our agencies are reimbursed about that. Right. You so, can't pay somebody $15 an hour and ask them to pay their employees $15 an hour because the business well, is gone. Th- there will be no business to hire them. That's correct. Yeah, so that's that's the vicious circle that we, we deal with. Well, and one of the tricky things, too, um, that will happen is for those who are paying privately, you know, people are already paying $20, $24 an hour, and then the overhead is just so huge, which is why, you know, a lot of these home care agencies, when they're charging $24 an hour for private duty care and people are paying privately for that, there isn't a lot of revenue that they're pulling in. So they're going to have to increase what they're charging people per hour. So it's sort of like this whole nest of an issue um, and, and how do we make that work because then the folks who are paying privately for these services are going to have to pay even more out of their own personal pockets i agree and these folks are worth 30 dollars an hour or more to us yeah you know, it's just unfortunately the structure yeah will never be able to accommodate that so we just each year we keep hoping to make it better mm. so that they can uh, make a living and stay off public assistance themselves we have a lot to cover, and thankfully we have one more segment to do it in. So we'll come back to you guys after the break. We will do just that. We've got Tracy Colvert, who's the VP of Government Relations and Public Policy with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina, as well as Julia adams Sherrick, who's the Director of Government Relations with Oak City Government Relations and also affiliated with uh, the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. A service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters Care and Comfort that Surrounds You on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.com. 
org. Jason Kong here with you this evening, as well as Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton, our guests in the studio here tonight. We've got uh, we've got Tracy Colvert. He's the vice president of government relations and public policy with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina, as well as Julia Adams Sherrick, director of government relations with Oak City Government Relations, and she's also affiliated with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. And now that we've introduced you with your titles we are out of time thanks everyone for listening no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding it's been fun tune in next time that's right but we do have a lot to pack into this segment here cooper so let's go well i think maybe i jumped into the middle as opposed to starting at the beginning uh which is about the way i do things um at at the last segment i probably should have started off could tracy could you tell us what the association for home and hospice care in north carolina is i mean y'all are out there talking on behalf of these industries and frankly on behalf of their patients but what is this thing? Absolutely. It's, it's a Big Ten organization and a trade, trade association that serves home care agencies, home health agencies, hospice agencies, palliative care, some durable medical equipment, and probably some other things sprinkled in as well, such as therapies, that kind of thing. And we probably have, I think, last count, 750 to 800 members statewide. So now that, are those, are, are those are individual 750 people or 750 companies? 750 companies, which includes some branches, some bigger, bigger providers that um, cover most of the state. That means they employ a lot of people. They employ, we estimate 100,000 employees out there working in our industry. 100,000 people working in the home and hospice and home care industry. Absolutely. In North Carolina. In North Carolina, which serve almost 400,000 patients a year. 400,000. 400,000 home care, home health, and hospice. That's a big number. I mean, I'm, I'm from Alabama. We don't count that high. Uh-huh. It's pretty large, and it's it's growing. Uh, it's As our demographics change, it's going to continue to grow. So how do you figure out what issues to address within the state does it does it come out of the budget or does it come out of the membership with that many people or you, you can't get 750 companies to come to agreement on much can you you know surprisingly most of the time we can kind of get an agreement or an overall agreement and it's not always easy but you know most folks as far as caring for our elderly disabled even disadvantaged children out there everybody has one mission and everybody's able to, you know, check their egos at the door, check their businesses at the door, and we all kind of row for the same direction. So I'm not sure who the best person to answer this question is, but what would you say the biggest win has been for y'all this year so far? Uh, As far as the short session goes, obviously, anytime you can get a rate increase for a provider who provides home care services, which actually impacts the client greatly because you can hire better trained workers, you recruit better, you retain better. I mean, I think that's obviously our, our biggest win. And also, with North Carolina, most of our services are optional. So anytime that you don't lose any services or they're not cut, it's it's a huge win upon itself. I also think that, you know, one bill that was moving this session really clarified some of the Medicaid transformation that we're going to see in North Carolina and the Association of Home and Hospice Care really impacted the outcome for that bill by making sure that long-term services and supports um, were basically carved out at the start of it so that we could really think hard and carefully and pull stakeholders together to make sure that as we move to a fully managed care system, how do we really care and support these individuals whose needs are going to be long-term in nature? 
um, as well as protecting children who are on the Community Alternative Program for Children and making sure that those kids um, don't go in in this first round as we start up, but really have the opportunity to sit down and say, what are these kids who are medically complex in nature? What do they really need? And how can we serve them best? And I really consider those two pieces when we look outside of rate increases to be a really strong win for the association this year because we were at every single table talking about that. And and I think for our membership, we were really reacting to a lot of the concerns that they had during multiple meetings that we had with them. So as we talk about, in particular, this large appropriations bill, we continue to talk about Medicaid. It's the, the kind of the giant health care state spend, though it is largely driven by federal dollars that are allocated down. I think we still struggle with understanding who Medicaid is for. Uh, and would it would either of you be able to kind of explain in general terms, really, who's qualifying for Medicaid? Because I've heard all sorts of things. Uh, it's anybody who doesn't work. Um, I've heard it's uh, people who are able to work but choose not to work. I've heard lots of things. Could you could you clarify that? And kind of what are the age ranges? Because you keep talking about children and older adults. Mm-hmm. That's because on our Medicaid system, primarily the people that are using Medicaid are using it as their only way to get health insurance. And they are predominantly people with disabilities, people who are seniors, and children with complex medical needs. Well, that then is there may be really, some truth to that because if they're elderly – Right. or their children, or they're disabled, they wouldn't be working. That's correct. Exactly. Okay. So these are not people who are choosing not to work. No, no. You know, it's it's interesting because we're hearing that so much even from our national folks who are talking about how we need to put a Medicaid work requirement out there and people really need to, you know, if you're going to get Medicaid, you need to work. The reality is in North Carolina, a large portion are kids with disabilities and seniors and adults with disabilities. And this is the only way that they access health care. Medicaid is their health insurance program. It's how they get to see a primary care physician. So it's, it's government-sponsored insurance just like Medicare, except it's exactly. a broader base. It's Medicare broader is typically base. simply older folks with some end-stage renal disease tossed in. And the cool thing is with Medicaid, too, states can decide, well, hey, we need to do something very specific for one population that already qualifies. And and we need to build a bigger, like cap the community alternative program for disabled adults addresses things outside of, you know, just their health insurance or their 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 visit to the primary care doctor, or their visit to an OT or, or PT. So I went to a presentation not long ago, and actually it was provided, uh, there were three speakers, and the two of you were two of the three speakers. Um, and we were t- there, was, there was discussion about Medicaid managed care and the shift toward that, and this kind of, and, you, and you've made reference to it already in, in this show, Julia. Could you touch on that and kind of give us an idea, timeline, what we're talking about? I will do my very best to give you a timeline. So... Um, This year, the timeline has been kind of shifting and moving. So um, we were waiting for this one piece of legislation called House Bill 403 to move through the General Assembly. It's done. It's been signed into law by Governor Cooper. And that really put some of the nuts and bolts behind it. Now we have 60 days to put out a request for a proposal to managed care companies when I talk managed care companies, I'm talking about um, two different two different streets here. The first one is 
uh, your corporate managed care. So those are the Aetna's, the United Healthcare's, um, the WellCare, those companies. The other one are these provider-led entities. So these are physicians who have been contracting with a corporate managed care company. Um, for example, the North Carolina Medical Society has contracted with Centene. Um, they are primarily physician-led and by law have to be. Um, so they're going to be basically uh, trying to compete against each other to see who would be the best to manage Medicaid for the state of North Carolina. And one of the things that we had to work out uh, before we could get to the 60-day window with what would happen to people with behavioral health issues, um, including individuals with mental illness and individuals with developmental and intellectual disabilities. And once we figured all that out, then we can move forward. So we are right now in our 60-day window. I will say that the federal government, as of right before we moved in here, has not yet approved our waiver application. So we may end up with a proposal going out based on a system design and still have to wait for the federal government to give us the attaboy to move forward. All right. So we've just got a moment left. If is there Are there any kind of closing thoughts you want to be sure listeners kind of know about the, the whole short session or Medicaid or home and community-based care public policy? Oh, I would just say that you know, home care services, home health, hospice, and all the other services, you don't really think about them until you need them. And folks really need to pay attention to public policy when you can, no matter how you get it, whether it's a newspaper, internet, whatever the case may be. Read up on it, because as we tell everybody, if you've never heard of these programs, you will, and you will be going through it yourself, or you'll have a family member that's going to receive one of these services in the very near future if you haven't already so we're here to help if we can and we think our services are prime and what are most preferred so we're here as a resource if ever needed and happy to help that's great advice tracy and julia thank you so much for joining us this evening we really appreciate having you on the show tonight thank Thank you. you That is Tracy Colvert. He is the Vice President of Government Relations and Public Policy with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina, as well as Julia Adams-Sherrick, and she's the Director of Government Relations with Oak City Government Relations, and she's also with the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. We will be right back after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co hosts, Nicole Claykitt and Cooper Linton. Here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton and Nicole Cleggett. And Cooper and Nicole, we, uh, we're almost there again. It's time to start talking about the Caregiver Summits. We've got another one coming up in just a few more weeks. So, lady and gentlemen, you need to put on some more summits because the people, they demand it. Well, it's actually true. Uh, we know that we've, we were asked year after year, can you increase the number of these summits? Can you put them in different places? And so instead of actually increasing the number of them, we've spread them out. We've altered the content so that uh, if you've been to one, it's going to be different when you go to the next one. So you've there's, been to one. You've been to one. If you've been to one, you've only been to one, you're not going to see duplication at the other events. 
and so the one that was in Durham at the Sheraton Imperial off of Page Road uh, was just it was it was incredible to see the number of people showing up and the growth from one year over to the next. I think part of that was shifting the venue. Part of that's also shifting some of the educational content. Uh, but folks who missed that actually have a chance to go to another one, not that very far into the future. So. No, so the next one is on August 7th at the Friday Center in Chapel Hill. So for those that have that, there is some sort of a psychological barrier for moving one county to the next in this area. I've, I've, I passed through it. I must have some kind of superhuman strength. But <laughs> for those who wouldn't from Chapel Hill or Raleigh that don't want to go to Durham, you can you can go to Chapel Hill. Um, and that is going to be on August 7th at the Friday Center. And I think, you know, interestingly, one of the topics that we're going to be talking about is supported decision-making. And, you know, really recognizing yourself as sort of the person who is the general contractor, so to speak, but then finding folks around you that can help you make some informed decisions. So that that's one of our sessions uh, upcoming in August. Another thing that we do talk about from time to time has to do with technology and mm-hmm. technology and caregiving. And, you know, geez, just about every week, I think either Cooper or I get pitched some sort of a piece of technology that people want our opinion on. Do we think this is going to resonate with the family caregiver? And, you know, we have a lady that's coming who is not uh, necessarily pimping a particular product, but she's there to really just talk about generally the different types of products that exist and how she sees technology helping to support family caregivers in the future. Well, there's sometimes a misconception that there's the right technology and then there's the wrong technology. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a little bit like cars. Um, the, the right vehicle for me or for my family is very different than the right vehicle for somebody else. And Nicole and I drive different vehicles. Our families use vehicles differently. That's totally okay. It's the right call for she and her family, and we do something different in ours. And technology is the same way. What are your needs? What are you trying to achieve? What is the caregiver experience that you're trying to enhance through the technology? What are the safety issues? And having a, an expert guide you through it is very valuable. You know, and some of those listening might remember Irma Bombeck, and one of her famous quotes was trying to find bless in the mess. And so part of what we do at the Caregiver Summits is trying to help that family caregiver find some respite during the day. And sometimes respite means let's attend a session and let's talk about laughter and let's let's think about how much laughter can really help us with our self-care. And the reality of it is, is, you know, just doing something for a few minutes that uplifts your spirit makes all the difference in the world to refuel you during your caregiving journey. Yeah, people just need a psychic break. I mean, realistically, you've got to have some sort of psychic break to where you refuel. You can even to some extent recycle yourself so there's some newness back in your life as a caregiver, and many people are caregiving for multiple people, they've got to have some of themselves left over and really to, to, uh, to be their best self. I think another thing that, you know, families that come to these summits, and, and, and we knew, it's not even just I think, we know families that come to these summits really want information, and they want some meat and potatoes as well as the, as the side items. One of the pieces of meat and potatoes that they often ask us to talk about from year to year is really the legal issues surrounding being a family caregiver and how to best support your loved ones. So we always have some sort of a topic, and this year one of our topics um, has to do, again, with legal issues, Medicaid, Medicare, um, power reserve attorney, advanced directives, that sort of thing, uh, by our one of our presenting sponsors, Clarity Legal Group. So we are very excited, and those sessions always 
fill beyond what the rooms can hold and very well supported and loved by our families. People are scared of the legal issues, and part of it is they're afraid of the cost. Yeah, exactly. When they, when well. they hear, they, <laughs> there's some truth yeah, to it. Yeah. Um, you know, we... We love the attorneys that support these programs, and we love the ones that are helping our families navigate issues, but we love to make lawyer jokes, right? I mean, even <laughs> lawyers love to make lawyer jokes. Yeah. Uh, and actually, just for the record, most attorneys I know have better lawyer jokes than anybody I have ever heard. They collect them. Well, and this lawyer's last name happens to be Costly. So. Absolutely. Costly. <laughs> I mean, how about it? Well, it's, that one writes itself. You know, he, you know? he, yeah, it does. It writes itself. And he's heard it more than once. Yeah. Um, but these folks are coming in and they're not charging for this. They are really mm-hmm. giving advice and that is incredibly valuable. And there isn't a financial barrier. And frankly, the fear of it is sometimes worse than the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's better to just go ahead and address these issues and understand what your needs are. Yeah, the last thing you want to encounter is some sort of legal roadblock when it comes to a caregiving situation. I and mean, then that, you're in a crisis. Right, yeah. And you don't have the time. You don't know. You don't have any context to solve it. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest undercurrents of the day for all of these summits, and, and it's definitely something you can feel when you walk into the room, the families come into the summit and they are stressed, they are overwhelmed. But by the time they leave, just the whole spirit of the entire venue is completely uplifted and you really see family members that have made bonds, there are new friendships, there are ways that people start supporting each other during some of the sessions, just through, throughout the conversations or during the lunch and entertainment. And you know that to me is almost worth more than even putting on the sessions. It's just the fact that people, when they're caregiving, and I've done it twice, you feel incredibly isolated. And when they come to an event like this, they realize they are not alone in this journey. They have a shared navigation of the experience. Uh, And I think that's sometimes more valuable than the speakers. The other thing that we hear routinely, though, is the value of seeing all of the resources in one place in the way mm-hmm. of vendors. Yep. Uh, they said, well, I don't have time to go talk to people who can modify my house, who can be an attorney, who can provide in-home care, that can assist with a ramp, that can just keep naming things. You don't have to find time to drive all over the triangle or all over the region. You can come to one spot in one place and in the course of one hour save you weeks of work. That alone is worth coming for. Well, and part of that has to do really with competency of the caregivers people don't know what they don't know and they don't know what's out there so i think sometimes what happens is is when people walk into the exhibitor hall first of all they just can't believe how many organizations are there and then they can't believe the types of resources that exist that they had no idea even existed the day before they walked into the summit if you want to find more information about the caregivers summits head over to caregivers summit caregiversummit.org. You can also go to the WPTF.com webpage. And if you go to the host section and click on Aging Matters, you'll find plenty of information about the Caregiver Summits there. You can also find past episodes of Aging Matters there as well. We've got the full archive available for you. Maybe you're looking for some more information on topics that we've discussed in the past. You can find, again, the full archive there. It's WPTF.com. Head over to the host section and find Aging Matters. I want to thank our guests this evening for stopping by. We had Julia adams Sherrick and Tracy Culvert here in the studio. They did a wonderful job. Again, if you missed that, the full episode will be available for you at WPTF.com. On behalf of Cooper Linton and Nicole Cliggett, I am Jason Kong. Thanking you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you listening. We hope you'll join us again next Saturday evening at 7 for Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you. A service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. 
You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.